If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties... Forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. This week we are continuing our look at the trial of Lucy Letby. Now I'm sure many of you are continuing to follow this case as it unfolds. Obviously a verdict has been handed down, but the story continues to open like some sort of terrible flower. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. Last week, Dad and I looked at the first couple of victims. We finished with uh, Child E., Dad, it's, it's, first of all, it's really disturbing that there are so many victims that they literally have to categorize them with letters instead of their names. But we're up to child G right now. And child G was born 15 weeks premature at Arrow Park Hospital in uh, May of 2015, right? Mm. Uh, referred to as child G. Weighed just over uh, 0.45 kilograms uh, when she was born. And she was kind of slowly recovering. Now, I was a premature baby. How premature was I? I don't remember in terms of weeks. Do you? You were very premature. You were just over 30 weeks. What? Yes. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait. I don't want to cop any flack from... You think I was... ...that give me a hard time because I'm Wait, telling you th- something for the first time. Wait. Th- well, there are thereabouts. Hang on. You okay? <laughs> Hang on, thirty weeks. Oh God! Paul. We can't. We can't start this episode with laughing. It's just. No, you can. Hang on, That's thirty weeks premature. Hang on, there's four, five, four. Oh God, this... Paul! You. <laughs> Wait, you're saying I was five months premature? 
Dad, I'm on the end for nine. Poor you. F- <laughs> You're so funny. I didn't say 30 weeks premature Dad, you. I have it on the mic. I literally have it on the mic. You what I meant said- to say, you're born at 30 weeks or so. <laughs> wait, so then, then I'm... Are you saying I was... Wait, About four two. months premature, you <laughs> fucking waffle. <laughs> oh, Paul. Look, I I'm just t- know that you were very small. Okay? <laughs> we used to bathe you in a tub of <laughs> 30 weeks, you psychopath. Mama's going to go... Paul, it was like three weeks, oh, four look, weeks. You were small. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let's just... By the way, listeners, we've just spent the morning uh, going through these case files again, going through witness statements, going through news articles. I've been on the verge of tears all morning. I think we just needed to laugh about something before we dive back in. So please don't take our levity personally or think that it is in any way... Um, you, you all know us. This is not a reaction to what's happening. We're not laughing no, about it. It's no. so fucking tragic. Then I just I think I'm slightly manic at this point. I just needed mm. to... But I, anyway. I, I will say this to the listeners, that I, yeah. I could hold you in the palm of one hand. Right. That's, a, that's small. You had, no bot- you had no bottom. Yet. So when you come out and you're premature, you are in an extremely vulnerable state. So baby G, child G comes out, and child G is... Okay, so child G, born premature, really struggling health-wise, but according to the mother, was growing and getting stronger at this point, right? And then after 11 weeks, uh, they are considered healthy enough to get transferred to a regular hospital. And unfortunately for them, they're transferred to the Countess of Chester Hospital, which is where Lucy Letby is already in the middle of what could be comfortably described as a bit of a spree. So three weeks into her tenure at the hospital... The whole team in the neonatal unit gets together to celebrate 100 days uh, alive for for, um, baby G, right? They put up a banner, they get some cake, and who should be there celebrating but Lucy Letby. Mere hours later, uh, the mother of the child comes in and finds her daughter in intensive care. And according to uh, court documents... Letby tried to kill child G um, by injecting her with, and I quote, milk and air through a nasogastric tube at about 2 a.m. on the 7th of September 2015. And then she made two attempts to kill child G over the coming weeks. And uh, so that was was an ongoing uh, thing with her. So I guess one of the sad things about this particular child is... Yeah. I mean, Lucy has been charged, was charged, and found guilty of attempted murder of this particular child. Mm-hmm. The sad thing for, the, for the, the parents. Oh, yeah. And I say this from a... You know, it's, it's very difficult as a, as a parent and as a, as a person to transfer and even attempt to transfer the feelings of the parents today. Now... I don't know whether their life has been enriched by the fact that their child, who's now eight, is is alive. She is, uh, the child has cerebral palsy and... Severely uh, disabled. I don't think she can see properly. Effectively, there was a point during the different treatments where, and I'll read here, the girl's father told police he had noticed a change in his daughter following this incident. A statement read to the jurors said, when she had the vomit, I could see that she was different and she didn't respond to my voice the same anymore. So, these these repeated attempts by Lucy Letby on child G's life has left her um, severely disabled. And that's, I mean, that's unbelievably tragic. And obviously, 
it's it... I know and interesting interestingly Paul the 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 police they charged Lucy with attempted murder twice two charges isn't that fascinating? Yes. And, uh, yeah, I, I was very curious because I'd almost like to see uh, the list of charges because at this point, listeners, we're working our way through the charges. There are parents involved in these cases who are quite certain and the authorities are quite certain that she was involved, but obviously she wasn't charged with every murder or attempted murder. We talked about the amount of very odd support Lucy received from um, higher-ups, Right, mm. including one who she was uh, apparently involved with. But I'd like to read an exchange from uh, a manager uh, in her unit in response to the beginnings of accusations or implications around the department that she was maybe somehow involved. Because at that point, obviously, she's just there every time something bad happens. So I'm now going to read one of the texts that Lucy was sending to a unit manager uh, in regards to some suspicion that she was involved in, not involved with, well, I mean, maybe at this point people had suspicions, but obviously at this point, quite a few terrible things have been happening and Lucy just happens to be there. So Lucy responds to her manager with, that's really nice to hear as I gather you are aware of some of the not so positive comments that have been made recently regarding my role, which I have found quite upsetting. Our job is a pleasure to do, and I just hope I do the best for the babies and their family. And then the following day, she texts one of the other nurses and says, it's all just so rubbish lately, isn't it? And always seems to happen at night when less people. This is what we do, as sad and as hard as it can be. Uh, And that was on the 26th of September in 2015. Now, last week, I suggested towards the end of the episode that the increasing gap between attempts on babies' lives suggested a degree of deliberateness because she's she's not gripped by this compulsion. She can't, well, maybe she, maybe she is, but there is a degree of thought there because she is aware that people are starting to pay attention. So the gap between attempts is, uh, is increasing. Mm-hmm. So it's not until the 13th of October that baby I, I can't believe we're going down a list of alphabetical babies that were... Okay, so baby I. Uh, This is the 23rd of October, 2015. And and this is the the fourth attempt on this particular child. Wait, is it? Yes. Fourth attempt to kill this child. So she was persistent, mm. cold-blooded, clearly calculated. The mother walked in on this one as well. I'm very curious, Paul, and I I really found what you said very interesting about, you know, the the time between... Because it's a tug-of-war in Lucy's mind, I imagine. She is... It's almost, dare I say it, and I don't know whether this term has been been, uh, sort of attached to this particular story, but I... I'm going to describe Lucy's killings. I'm going to describe them almost as thrill killings. And she's in a a tug of war in her mind because you said Mm -hmm. that in terms of the gaps, she's weighing up constantly the desire to kill opposed or against the fear of getting caught, getting caught, and the and also, as you said, she's aware because there's no doubt about it that there is heat being applied to her, whether it be direct or indirect, and you know the doctors would be becoming more and more concerned. 
Well, I mean, they Lucy in court uh, in regards to Child Eye, uh, who was killed by Lucy, uh, she denied explicitly uh, getting any kind of thrill from the parents' reactions. But what's interesting about Child Eye is that one of the parents walked in on uh, Lucy Letby cleaning the child, giving her a bath, and then she looked up at the parent and smiled and started telling stories about how she remembered uh, how much the child enjoyed her first bath. And Lucy at court said that she was trying to just sort of make a positive in the moment. Um, but she was like talking to the kid and washing it. So you walk in and you see Lucy Letby washing your the corpse of your of your recently dead child. I mean, this is starting to get really intense. So basically it was, yeah, four attempts on child eye mm-hmm. and uh, she killed her by inserting air into the stomach, yeah. which apparently is very painful. And then to add insult to injury, Letby actually sent a card to the parents uh, on the day of the funeral, you know, expressing her sympathy, mm. which is... Yeah, just the relationship yeah. between this particular intensive care nurse and parents was very tight, close. Yeah. That's why in a lot of the cases, the parents, it took them a long time to actually come to grips with the fact that she had murdered their children because they, it didn't equate to the relationship that they had in the hospitals. They were on first name basis. It's very, very intimate nursing. And it just discombobulated the mm. parents totally it, it came out of the blue it would be like having a relative or a close friend a dear dear close friend all of a sudden you read in the local press mm-hmm. that this great great long term friend or member of the family has been arrested with some hideous terrible deviant sort of string of offences and you just for a while you can't imagine that and that's why it's so difficult in this world where we know people do certain things but then you've always got people that will come to the defence Yeah. in this particular case the parents the parents who I would describe as, as elderly the, the trial that lasted 10 months they actually, the parents moved from their family home and rented a flat near the court for 10 months so they could go and be with their daughter and hear every single bit of evidence. And at the very end, when the sentence was handed down last week, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, yeah. the, 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 certainly the mother to this day can't believe that their daughter did this. One of the things I really hate is the fact that if you read the text messages, um, Lucy really pushed to be involved with baby I. So she basically begged the shift leader to, to get in. And she said, I'd like to keep her, please. And the shift leader kind of, uh, I'll read from here. The shift leader agrees, but a little over an hour later, she messages to say she had to reallocate. Let be asks if something happened. Shift leader says, and I quote, no, was just asked to reallocate so no one has her for more than one night at a time. It's pretty clear to me at that point. They're like, look, we need to... St-. It seems like suspicion is beginning. Just like worry of allocation of tasks, but baby I dies the next week on the exact same night that Letby is doing a shift, an overnight shift. And I've got a chart here of all the shifts and the court has seen the same chart. I'm sure you've seen it as well. It's basically a grid of- It's incredible. It's all her shifts it's, and when when the babies died. And there is a 
uh, locker. And, and, and actually, there's a few where she came across from other wards where she because she wasn't stationed where the baby was. So she'd like leave her shift, come across, kill a baby, go back to her shift. So if we head back to the timeline, that's 23rd of October. So Dr. Stephen Breary, who has become a bit of a figure uh, in this story and who kind of led the charge, on the 23rd of October, he starts getting worried uh, after Child Eye has died. Mm. And he does a staffing review and he figures out that Letby is, as we've established, uh, on the scene mm. for uh, most of these deaths. Yep. And Dr. Ravi Jayaram, who I watched recently talking to the BBC on BBC News, he's a consultant at the hospital. He tells management and he's told to not, and I quote, make a fuss. So Letby is still on the neonatal unit. At this point, I think it's safe to say that every single child that is killed or maimed after this point, that's on the hospital as well. Mm. Because at this point, there are good people trying to alert the authorities and the hospital are like, they're just not, they're not raising the alarm. Yeah. So they do a review uh, and on the 8th of February, 2016, again, look at this, look at this, uh, the passage of time here. Does that, um, does the 8th of February ring a bell with you, Paul? No, why? It's my birthday. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Not significant to this case, but no. I probably sh- I probably should know when your birthday is. Yeah. So they do a review, and uh, Stephen Brewery finds uh, links with nine of the deaths. Right, mm. he he organizes a meeting with the hospital's medical director, who is called Ian Harvey. Ian Harvey, I believe, is in deep shit right now, and justifiably so. Yep. Brewery pushes for an urgent meeting with the execs, um, but as told in court, the meeting doesn't happen until May, twenty sixteen. Yeah, so in April, 9th of April, attempted murder of uh, child L, and this is another insulin case. Yep. So there's a dextrose bag attached to child L via like an IV drip, and so she puts insulin in there. And later on, we mentioned last week the tests, which discovered that there was just way too much uh, insulin, but very low C-peptide levels. And C-peptide is what your body, uh, it's like the thing that reacts, that creates the insulin because that's not there. So that's an attempted murder. Yep. Uh, then we jump forward to the... Uh, oh, shit. Also the 9th of April. Right. Another twin. I'd forgotten that there was another pair of twins. Oh, so, twin. yeah. yeah. Child M is Child L's twin brother. Yep. And has a massive, massive collapse. His breathing and heart rate drop catastrophically. And uh, he's injected with air, but he uh, suffers brain damage as a result. Yeah, permanent. Okay. So during this period, Dad... She starts uh, sowing kind of seeds and suggesting to shift managers and whatnot that understaffing is part of the problem here, mm-hmm. that there's just not enough people around. And so she starts volunteering for more shifts, oh, kind God. of pick up the slack. Now, that is what gets her in the room for the attempted murders of babies L and M, our twins. Um, on June 2016, in June 2016, she uh, gets onto Facebook Messenger and she starts talking with a doctor. Now... Her chats with this doctor, I'm actually going to talk about a little bit now. If we jump forward to the 24th of June, it's the day after she's killed baby O. She kills baby P the next day. So she kills two babies over these days. And she's, as I mentioned, been texting this doctor uh, via Facebook Messenger. And so she basically is saying to this doctor, look... um, there's this doctor, the pediatrician called John Gibbs, who's been asking questions about the uh, collapse and resuscitations and about you know my, my involvement. So what she does is in roundabout terms, she asks this doctor that she's sort of 
got this semi-relationship with on Facebook, she says, do I need to be worried about what Dr. Gibbs was asking? And the doctor says, no, he was asking to make sure that normal procedures were being carried out. And then she says, we've lost two babies I was caring for and now this happened today. It makes you think, am I missing something? Am I not good enough? And the doctor says, if anybody, and anybody is bolded, if anybody says anything to you about not being good enough or performing adequately, I want you to promise me that you'll give my details to provide the statement. And she says, well, I sincerely hope I won't ever be needing a statement, but thank you, I promise. And he says, you're one of the few nurses across the region, I've worked pretty much everywhere, that I would trust with my own children. <clears throat> wow. Uh, can you imagine what this doctor is feeling right now, having effectively... Okay. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So that's on the 24th of June. If we leapfrog forward to the 6th of July, this doctor actually was involved in some of the review meetings that were happening about Letby. And he, instead of keeping this confidential, this is a review of the deaths of baby O and P that Letby killed. So he gets in touch with her and says, you need to keep this to yourself. There was absolutely nothing for you to worry about. Please don't. There were going to be some recommendations based on staffing slash kit, but there was no criticism of either resuscitation. And then he forwards her an email from Steve Breary, right? So she throws, this doctor throws Stephen Breary under the bus and gives the email to her and then says, I know you won't say anything. This email has to stay between us. Is that okay? And she says, of course, 100%, right? Mm -hmm. 15th of July. All the staff receive an email saying they're all going to have to undergo clinical supervision because there's going to be an external review. And uh, Letby, has, uh, Letby agrees to go first, okay? Hmm. She texts a co-worker and she's kind of worked up a timeline. Obviously, any timeline she works up is going to favor her um, very much. So on the 3rd of June, 2016, uh, there's an attempted murder of, uh, of a... Of a small boy who has hemophilia, which obviously means that you your blood can't, can't clot properly, so you bleed very easily. Mm. So uh, she actually... Um, <sighs> this is difficult to read. Right. <clears throat> this is a bad one. Air embolism and thrusting nas nasogastric tube into throat. So she basically um, tried to... She stabbed him in the throat, effectively. Knowing that yep. the bleeding would be out of sight. Yep. <clears throat> and he basically just drown in his own blood and then murder of child O so this is triplets this time 
Yeah, and she kills Charles O and Child P one day after the other, 23rd and 24th of June. But I'm so, yeah. Ch- Child O was perfectly healthy. But she injected uh, gas into his nasogastric tube again, injecting air into babies, incredibly painful. But the kid was about to go home the next day and was apparently per- just perfectly healthy. Uh, but when they did an x ray, they found, they saw the gas pockets. And then she does the same thing. Child P, the next day, a uh, baby boy uses the nasogastric tube while feeding him milk, and apparently this was at 6 p.m., which is 13 minutes after uh, Child O, his brother, had passed away. And apparently there was so much air in there that it actually smashed his uh, diaphragm, and they thought he was going to recover. Oh God, what did she say? She said, "He's not leaving here alive, is he?" Okay, so after the two of the three triplets are murdered. Stephen Breary gets in touch with another person you may have all heard of, uh, duty executive Karen Rees, and he says she needs to be taken off duty. Uh, Karen Rees says no. Stephen Breary uh, says, will you take responsibility if any more babies die or get maimed uh, the next day? And uh, she says yes. And then the next day, baby Q. Uh, there's an attempted murder while Letby's on duty, okay? Mm-hmm. And Karen Rees lets Lucy Letby keep working for another three shifts. And then once she gets pulled off shift work, all of these massive deaths and health crises and mm-hmm. all, all of it stops. It stops abruptly. And this is a year after the first, uh, the first baby, baby A, was, was, uh, was murdered. So they don't suspend her. They move her across to basically a desk job. Mm. But the problem is they put her in the hospital's risk and patient safety office, which is where she has access to documents, uh, like really sensitive documents. Um, and she's working with the people who are going to be investigating her. So she's literally in the department. Mm. I'm going to read an email here from the 29th of June, 2016. So on 29th of June, 2016, there was an email sent and the subject line was, should we refer ourselves to external investigation? I believe we need help from outside agencies who can deal with suspicion. At the moment, we are all under suspicion and the only agency who can investigate all of us, I believe, is the police. Mm -hmm. That is the only agency who can know our past history and our life outside the hospital, which might shed more light. The real quote here is, at the moment, we are all under suspicion and... They think the police should be investigating. So the hospital board, the managers uh, say action is being taken. And that's from Ian Harvey. And then he says, all emails cease forthwith. Two days later, there is a meeting where they all kind of agree that it would be a disaster for the hospital if they got the police involved, right? Because they don't Mm -hmm. want to turn, and I quote, the neonatal unit into a crime scene. Mm -hmm. And so what they do is they get in touch with a group called the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health to do a review. It is not a, this is not a legal group. Uh, they come in and they actually agree. They go, they say, and their recommendation is a thorough external independent review of each unexpected neonatal death. That's what they recommend. Mm. But here's the most galling part. An email is sent from Ian Harvey saying that people need to stop uh, pursuing this. He says, this is absolutely being treated with the same degree of urgency. It has already been discussed. All emails cease forthwith. Uh, basically, he doesn't just doesn't want people uh, filing complaints anymore, right? Uh, so in late January 2017, um, there were seven people on the unit, on the neonatal unit where Letby worked, right? And they get called into a meeting with all the, um, all the bosses at the hospital, including its CEO, a guy called Tony Chambers. So they get told that 
the board had basically spent uh, a bunch of time talking to Letby and her dad, and they issued them both an apology. And they said, you did nothing wrong. We're very sorry. Um, of course, uh, Tony Chambers, the CEO, denies ever having said this. Um, but one of the agreements, one of the settlements they came to was that the, in order to placate Letby and her father, they would have to uh, get a written apology from the seven pediatricians who had accused Letby of doing what she actually did in fact do. Now, the email was released as part of the court case and it was uh, dated 28th of February, 2017. Dad, would you like to read this incredibly galling and frankly upsetting email for us? I would. Okay. Dear Lucy, the increased mortality on the neonatal unit and subsequent reviews and redesignation of the neonatal unit has been a very stressful time for all staff and parents. We understand that it has been an exceptionally stressful time for you. We would like to apologise for any inappropriate comments that have been made during this difficult period. As you will be aware, emotions have run high. We are very sorry for the stress and upset you have been experiencing in the last year. Please be reassured that patient safety has been our absolute priority during this difficult time. So, after that, they do a bunch of stuff. They try and drag a few of the doctors in to sit down and actually do sort of grievance counselling with, with Lucy Leppy. Yeah, Stephen Breary refuses to do it. He's not involved. But two months after this bogus apology is sent out against their will, they head to the police. They basically go straight to the cops. And guess what the cops do in the Cheshire Police? Uh, they react immediately. They start an investigation. Uh, it was called Operation Hummingbird. And uh, Letby's still working in this office at this point, but um, Stephen Brewery is helping the police the whole time. And that's when he finds the results that help pin down the evidence of the insulin poisoning that we've talked about with mm. the C-peptide measurements uh, almost being zero. And for Brewery, that's like that's absolute proof, okay? A couple of months later, Letby finally gets arrested and suspended. But this is, again, three years after Stephen Breary first uh, flags these problems, which is, a, which is, you know, quite early in the timeline of the murders and attempted murders. The hospital has a new deputy chief executive called Dr. Susan Gilby. She comes in the month after Letby is arrested. And what's really interesting is she immediately agrees that the whole thing's been handled very fucking badly. And uh, she's since been ousted by the hospital board. I suspect for not sort of helping them look good and cover up their tracks. So, Dad, when they finally arrest her, right, we'll just zip back a sec. So, you can watch footage of her being arrested by... Have you watched the footage of her being arrested? I have. This is the third arrest, Paul. Right. But... When they finally get her, right? Mm. We talked about the strange difference between how you visualize a serial killer and what they are actually like. They go into her house, and from this piece on the BBC, what's really interesting, there was a court reporter who sat there for the whole trial, and she said, and this is such great writing, As the case progressed without any insight into her possible motives, the nurse's personality remained the elephant in the room. Occasionally, something would cast a shard of light on Letby's life. The jury saw photos of her house taken by police after her arrest. 
Art covered in cliched quotes hung on the walls. A dream is a wish your heart makes. Sparkles wherever you go. Shine bright like a diamond. There were teddy bears on the bed, artificial flowers, a fluffy pink dressing gown hanging on the back of the bedroom door, Monopoly and Trivial Pursuit, and Mrs. Doubtfire DVD. Two books sat by Letby's bedside, In Shock, a doctor's memoir about being dangerously ill after a miscarriage, and Never Greener, a novel about a young woman who had an affair with a married man. So next to the diary that I mentioned, the one that had the cute puppy dog on it, so they finally, they, they break into the house, they head in, this is autumn, and uh, during the court case, people were shown a post-it note which was found that at the exact moment where they arrested Letby, right? Mm. And it was, if you look at this stuff, and this is this looks like it was written by a serial killer, but it includes, it includes the phrases, I am evil, I did this, I killed them on purpose because I'm not good enough, I don't deserve to live, I am an awful person. Months later, they actually find another post-it note, which includes the phrases, please help me, I can't do this anymore, hate my life, I want someone to help me, but they can't. But... It's so interesting. And there's tax receipts and there's she's taking salsa classes. There's invoices for a Mexican dinner that she was at. And that's on the same week that she murdered uh, the two of the three triplets. But also, it's, also Paul, importantly, yeah. that, that is not wild, wild sort of wildly um, discussed. Mm-hmm. And that is that um, they also found in her house all the case notes for all the murdered babies. Wow. And then I was talking about that with Christine on the weekend. And Christine said, yes, she she clearly liked to continually go over, the, you know, and sort of relive each crime. It's I, I, My estimation, my feelings towards this woman today, um, with further reading, have, have plummeted to an all... all to, have plummeted to an all-time low. Uh, I think uh, what she did was terrible, insidious. By chance, Paul, do you have the the summing up? There's some beautiful words written by the judge. What's interesting is if you go to judiciary.uk, all of this stuff is public. uh, It's in the public commons. Mm. But you can read the uh, 10-page... You can read the 10-page statement read by the judge. Um, It's... It's really incredible. This is the redacted version of the sentencing remarks um, from the Honourable Mr. Justice Goss uh, in the trial of the, the King versus Lucy Letby. I don't even know where to start here, but uh, it starts with the defendant Lucy Letby has refused to attend court for this sentence hearing. Accordingly, I have to sentence her in absence. The damaging impact of your actions on others working at that hospital, including those who numbered you as a friend, Betraying their trust and creating upset and suspicion, as well as eroding confidence in clinicians and nurses generally, aggravates their seriousness. This was a cruel, calculated, and cynical campaign of child murder involving the smallest and most vulnerable of children. Knowing that your actions were causing significant physical suffering and would cause untold mental suffering. You created situations so that collapses or causes of collapses would not be obvious or associated with you. You removed and retained confidential records of events relating to your crimes and checked up on bereaved parents. There was a deep malevolence bordering on sadism in your actions. 
During the course of this trial, you have coldly denied any responsibility for your wrongdoing and sought to attribute some fault to others. You have shown no remorse. There are no mitigating factors. In their totality, the offenses in murder and attempted murder were of exceptionally high seriousness and just punishment according to the law requires a whole life order. Lucy let beyond each of the seven offenses of murder and the seven offenses of attempted murder, I sentence you to imprisonment for life. Because the seriousness of your offences is exceptionally high, I direct that the early release provisions do not apply. The order of the court, therefore, is a whole life order on each and every offence, and you will spend the rest of your life in prison. Well said. I think that's a good place to end, Paul. Yeah, I agree. This case will obviously keep evolving, and if it does turn out that she was actually doing stuff at the doing stuff, if it does turn out that she was committing heinous crimes at hospital she was stationed at before this then we will touch base with this case in uh, future episodes of loose ends or in some other way but i do think that is a profound and sad point to finish this episode lucy leppy what what do you say i'm just my my heart goes out to the to the parents and uh to the relatives and to those affected and the people who worked at the hospital and the ones who actually tried to stop this absolutely incredible uh, I did just want to close out on something very, very interesting, I think. Uh, and this was from a study in The Guardian. I just thought this, I just found this interesting. Uh, it turns out that nearly 40% of female serial killers are nurses, nurses' aides, or other healthcare workers. Isn't that interesting? Fuck, that's yeah. insane. Not 40% of nurses are serial killers, obviously. 40% of female serial killers are nurses, nurses' aides, or other healthcare workers. Um, and according to statistics, they're more likely to be white or Christian or attractive or in their mm. 20s or 30s when crimes kick off. And Paul, um, as an addendum to your sort of closing words, mm-hmm. I wanted to, to just let the listeners know about something that I found out of all the sort of stuff we've covered over the last two episodes. Buried deep in this particular case, we know that Lucy would prepare these. They were sort of like a little box of sort of mementos for the parents. Did you know that? And she used to present them. And on one particular case, she presented parents of one of the children she'd murdered mm-hmm. a, a little a little box. And inside the box was um, was a tiny little teddy bear that the parents had given the baby. Yeah. Uh, but and this is sort of one of those stories that is macabre in the extreme that is that she also took molds of the baby's hands and feet the parents had not given permission for lucy to do this but the most disturbing part of what i'm about to say is that there was a photograph attached and it was of their dead baby we didn't know at this stage that it was dead but it was of the baby hugging or cuddling this particular tiny teddy bear Mm. small problem the baby was on its side doctors have said it is impossible for a baby so premature it's just muscularly impossible for a baby to roll over so what lucy did after she'd murdered the baby she then turned the baby on its side, got it... She, she sort of constructed this scene, like with a doll. She then photographs it, and that is a photograph she handed to the parents, okay? The parents at the time thought it was weird, 
but they kind of understood. But of course, as everything began to come to light, they began to realise that Lucy had actually staged this scene. And that just gives the listeners and you and me a little bit more insight into this particularly fucked up human being. And that's all I can say. Well, I'm going to need to sit down after that. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends, everybody. Please take it easy, everyone. Uh, As usual, feel free to head across to our Facebook page, get in touch there. But in the meantime, we're going to be back at the end of the week for Loose Ends, where we will try and take your minds off this absolute horror. I mean, yeah, I need to sit down. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. I'm Paul, that's John, and you've been listening to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Bye-bye. Cheerio.